0: When asked to name his favorite family members, he asks if the animals in the barn count. This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. Well, the clock has struck 5.05, and that means it is time for the Midwest Farm Report on a Monday. Good morning to you. My name is Josh Scramlin, and it is January sixth, 2020. (laughs) And if you're anything like me, every time you say the new year, you almost say 2019, right? Because you're so used to it. That's what I almost did there if you didn't notice. But it is 2020. It is January 6th. Good morning. Welcome aboard. We've got you all the way up until 6 a.m. And we have got a lot of ground to cover. There's some cold winters out there. So it's all about farm safety. Our good friend Scott Schultz up at the northern end of the world's longest barn in Eau Claire is going to have a story for you on that just moments ahead. Also, now that it is 2020 and I understand it's only January, we can't... And look ahead to the Wisconsin State Fair. Now, that's not until August, but they are accepting applications for Centennial and Sesquicentennial farms right now. And they are accepting those up until early March. So if you have a family farm that is either 100 or 150 years old, Jill Albanese of the Wisconsin State Fair is looking for you.
1: As long as you have made it 100 years, you can apply. Each property can apply for the 100-year award once. And each property can apply for the 150 award once. You don't have to be exactly at 100, but you have to be at least continuous for those 100 years or continuous for those 150 years. It's got to stay in the family, and that's really the most important thing. You do not need to be actively farming, but we do ask what kind of farming you are doing. Just kind of helps fill out where our honoraries are coming from.
0: I'll have the full story on Century and Sesquicentennial Farms later in the hour. Also, don't forget, if you or anybody you know is expecting a little one in 2020, you might want to go and get them a free baby bib on our website. That is MidwestFarmReport.com. And that is all thanks to our friends at Quick Trip as they support Wisconsin agriculture. News, markets, and more are just
2: ahead. Well, the end of the calendar year is right around the corner. Time to make some decisions. Fabulous Farm Bay Pam Yankee here from my buddies at Zimbrick Chevrolet, Main Street, Sun Prairie. It is December. Talk to your tax advisor right now. See if buying a new vehicle for your business is going to reduce your tax bill. It's called Section 179, and lots of Chevy vehicles qualify. To use the 179 deduction, you need to do a couple things. The vehicle has to be titled in the company's name. It has to be used for business at least 50% of the time, and it's got to be placed into service before the end of this calendar year. Chuck Ebbs, my buddy that's working in the fleet and commercial area, can help you out or any of the staff at Zimbrick Chevrolet. Remember, they are a business elite dealer. That means you get extended service hours, work-ready loaners, and a smiling face in Chuck Ebbs that can work you through all of the right business decisions. Find out more today. Zimbrick Chevrolet, Main Street, Sun Prairie.
3: It's not too often that kids say, when I grow up, I want to be a salesperson. who are we kidding? Nobody says that. We're polite Midwesterners. We don't like talking about money, much less asking people to part with it. That's why we don't hire salespeople here. We never send our staff out to put a business owner in a headlock and throw their car keys up on the roof until they buy something. In fact... We don't let our people even talk to business owners until they've learned the principles of good advertising. When you work at Midwest Family Marketing, you get intensive training from top marketing mavens across the country. Decades of systems that turn good local businesses into successful household names. You gotta want to help and have the integrity to put our customers' needs above all else. Easy job? No. Challenging, enriching, rewarding, and fun? Every day email jared at jobs at com. Midwest Family Marketing is an equal opportunity employer
2: well you know it's a very cold winter mornings like this you may not necessarily think that farmers are at risk but i'll tell you what ice is just as tricky for them to walk on as it is you there's all kinds of things that can happen on the farm fabulous farm babe p.m. Yankee at the southern end of the world's longest barn in madison and scott i'll tell you what exercising caution, thinking safety first around our farms and farmsteads these days. It's not something that's just fashionable during the spring and fall planting and harvest seasons, is it?
4: That's right, Pam. This is Scott Schultz on the northern end of the world's longest barn in Eau Claire. And the National Farm Medicine Center has been working with health systems and media throughout the nation to better understand those kinds of farm injuries and deaths and how those injuries and deaths occurred during what seasons and everything. Researchers working at the center say those numbers are important in the prevention of injury and death, but those statistics have been sparse. I asked Melissa Pluck the National Farm Medicine Center Outreach Specialist, how we get to the point of having a true handle on farm injury numbers.
5: So, Scott, I don't know that we will ever have a complete compilation of the, the injuries that are happening on farms and in agriculture in the nation. I don't know that that's ever going to be a feasible thing. However, we are working on some projects that will give us some of those numbers and that really showcase some of the injuries that are happening on farms today. One example is we have Egg Injury News. And to find that, you can go to www.egginjurynews.org. And what that is, is it's a compilation of all the media releases and all the media stories that we can find about injuries that have happened that are related in some way to agriculture we have everything from crashes on the roadway to atv to animal injuries and we compile all those up and this database is really amazing because you can really filter out and find the stories you want to find if you want to find a certain age of injury. You can look up 15 to 18 year olds. If you want to find a gender, you want to know how many males are getting hurt and you want to know ATV, you could do that search. 15 to 18 year old males on ATVs and how are they getting hurt and how often. So you can see that. Something that we need to realize is that these are only stories though that are found in the media. No source of funding has been given at this point to do a total compilation of injuries and that's what makes this a challenging a challenging project to work on
4: Even at that You're light years ahead of where we were 15 or 20 years ago. These numbers weren't there at
5: all That is very true. NIOSH used to do um, They used to do a uh, they used to do some surveillance of injury and you're right they've stopped doing that now but because of that surveillance that they did do a couple of years back we do have some numbers some statistics that we know is about 33 youth are injured on farms every day in an agricultural related incident we know that about every three days a child's dies from an agri related incident and the other thing that we know is we know the top three causes of fatalities and the top three causes of injury on farms and the top three causes of fatality is actually machinery so we're looking at atvs we're looking at tractors we're looking at skid steers and we know that the third most common cause of fatalities on farms is drowning now, a lot of people think that that means you have a pond and they went out to the pond and drowned. But there are so many ways to drown or suffocate on a farm. We see actually youth are getting into grain bins and they're getting sucked into the grain and then they drowned or suffocate. That's considered a drowning on a farm. We also see that sometimes road ditches get filled up with water when it rains and kids are getting into that and they're drowning. So those are two of the top causes of fatalities on farms. And of the top reasons for injury, the very top reason for injury on a farm is actually falls. And it can be an elevated fall, falling out of a haymow, falling down a silo, falling out of a grain bin, or it can just be slips and trips. So sometimes just making sure that the workplace is free of hazards and free of those tripping hazards is one way to stay safe on the farm.
4: Now in my lifetime, I've heard, well, why do we need numbers like this? Why is this important? And you're kind of giving me an idea of why, but tell us why you think these numbers and having these numbers in your hand are important.
5: So we know there are three ways to keep people safe. Education, engineering, and enforcement. So we would like to educate the public about how to be safe. But if we don't have any numbers telling us what's causing injury and fatality, then how do we know what to educate the public on? I can educate the public all day long on how to not get kicked by a cow. But if that's not the number one cause of injury, if the number one cause is because we're putting children that are too young on tractors, then that's something I need to know to create the right type of education. And then I also talked about engineering. We know that tractor rollovers is the number one cause of death on farms right now. So how can we engineer those tractors to make them a little bit more safe? In Wisconsin, we have the ROPS rebate program where we will pay 70% for a farmer to put a roll bar on their tractor. And we only made this possible because we know that that's the number one cause of death on the farm. So now we have this program. And when we have these numbers, we can have these programs.
4: Again, these numbers, as in-depth as they sound, as they might be, they're nowhere near possibly what really might be out there. How in the world do we get these numbers reported through medical systems, whatever it is,
5: that is the million-dollar question, Scott. And I have to be honest, I don't have an answer for you at this point. The funding is not there. The reports, you know, if a—if an ambulance makes a run to a farm and they're treating someone. There's so many things going on. There's the farm atmosphere, there's all the EMTs, there's maybe the fire squad, they maybe need to bring out a helicopter, there's the family and the victim. There is so much going on that after that, the reporting doesn't always get done to the point of, this was an agricultural incident, this was an occupational hazard, All those things just don't get reported like we would like to see them reported. So at this point, I can't tell you how we can get those numbers. Like I said, we're working on it, and we're trying. We're doing this aginjurynews.org project. And with that, we're actually trying to collect nationwide data through media reports. We're actually now even kind of tapping into some international Media reports and other countries are contacting us and they're wanting to do the same thing because it is the closest thing to surveillance that we have. But will we ever get there? I don't know. That's a good question, Scott.
4: In our lifetime, I hope we do. And so you're still at it.
5: We are definitely still at it and we're not quitting anytime soon.
4: How often, by the way, will these numbers be updated? Uh, are there ideas? That, is it an annual thing? how often are they updated?
5: We do create a fact sheet every year on childhood agricultural injuries in the U.S. So we currently have our 2019 fact sheet out and we usually get our next year's fact sheets out um, around April.
4: Again, go to the website.
5: www.cultivatesafety.org.
4: And that'll tell you where we are, at least a cursory look of where we are Injuries wise, out on those farms, on the northern end of the world's longest barn in Eau Claire, I'm Scott Schultz.
6: This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke.
7: In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success, like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide. I'm Matt Damon. I'm Zachary Levi. I'm Uzo Aduba. Join
8: Major League Baseball and stand up to cancer as we stand in honor of all loved ones
3: affected by this disease.
9: Visit standuptocancer.org/mlb. Stand
3: up with us. There goes Pam Yonke across Wisconsin in her
10: suburban truck. Thanks to Wisconsin's Soybean Marketing Board and BadgerBean.com, helping farmers grow sustainable crops to feed a hungry planet. Focus on the future. Farm First represents dairy farmers in the halls of Congress and provides test verification, disaster assistance, and youth scholarship benefits. Farm First Dairy Cooperative. Keep up with Pam at fabulousfarmbabe.net, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: A man that knows any food tastes better when deep-fried and served on a stick. This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. 519 on the clock. It's Josh Scramlin for the Midwest Farm Report. And right now, I'm connected live via Skype with ag meteorologist Stu Muck. Stu, good morning. How is it going up your way?
6: Good morning, Josh. So far on a Monday morning? Not much wrong that I can tell.
0: (laughs) Well, it's still early in the week. It's still early in the day. But let's get to the weather. I've been looking around uh, the state, and it looks as though clear and chilly is what we got going on right now.
6: Yeah, but uh, let me put that in perspective for you. I see a lot of 20s. Did you know the normal nighttime low here on this sixth day of January? At Lacrosse is nine degrees, Madison a warm spot with a normal nighttime low of eleven degrees, so yeah, it feels chilly, but to put it in perspective, we are still above normal. we've been enjoying a very fine spell of above normal weather since December, right on into this new year. Oh, I do expect a little cooling here, getting the on toward mid part of this week, and there will be a couple of chances of some light precipitation. There I said it. light precipitation, it's just not going to be a real big change to what we've been seeing. In fact, already today, we look off to low pressure that's off to our north and a cool front that's trying to drop in from the north. A little wave of activity will pass through late tonight or just into tomorrow. Light snow possibility. The only snow on radar this morning way out in Nebraska, southern South Dakota. That's the only thing really in our neighborhood. More snow up in the northeast and, of course, in the far northwest. But this little disturbance will swing a cool front on through. What I'm anticipating will be a few more clouds and a small chance of snow. Could develop even late tonight at La Crosse and Mauston and then spread for the rest of us into the day Tuesday. You know, a little dusting, uh, maybe like we saw yesterday. A little bit more possible, but not much. So just not a big snowmaker at all. There will be cold air. Behind that system, temperatures today still stunning, way above normal, cooling off somewhat for Tuesday, even a little cooler for Wednesday, and then we turn it around again. In fact, the next low out of the west tries to edge on in, and toward Thursday, may account for a slight chance of snow or a bit of a rain snow mix you know, a little bit to accumulate. Uh, If it were rain, it would be less than a tenth of an inch. So, you know, a little rain, a little snow mix, just a little enough to make it sloppy. Yes, could become a little frosty and slippery toward Thursday night with that new activity, but I still expect temperatures for the end of the week to be on the above normal side. Oh, like 10 degrees above normal, mid and upper 30s, even flirting with near 40 on and off. Just a really mild spell. It's been a mild start to this new year, and it really does appear that it will be continuing even as we make our way on through this first full week of the new year and the new month of January, holding on to this mild pattern. I'll have forecast details right after this.
4: We're
0: It's 522 on the clock, and right now I am joined live via Skype with Ag Meteorologist Stu Muck. Stu, are we going to see any snow at any point in time? I I, I hate saying the S-word on air, but is it going to happen?
6: (laughs) A little bit of light snow for tomorrow, then maybe again toward Thursday, but no, not that uh, snow cover that's going to really get ski trails and snowmobile trails polished up nicely and get us all out and enjoying. I mean, that would be awesome with this mild weather, but we haven't had that kind of snowfall And it just doesn't appear to be in the offing right now. In fact, today I'd say we'll enjoy a little sunshine, but skies will become partly sunny. And for a lot of us, it'll be very upper 30s or just some low 40s like in Madison, a little bit more mild there. The west wind's at 5 to 10. More clouds develop in the nighttime. We drop into the mid-20s. The southwest winds will be at 5 to 10. Late tonight, LaCrosse and Boston may see a little light snow. All of us had that chance for a little light snow into Tuesday. A cloudy start, and the flurries or light snow around, becoming sunny later in the day. Low to mid-30s with west winds about 5 to 15, maybe gusting closer to 30 on Tuesday. And then we cleared out a little bit Tuesday night. And by Wednesday, there'll be some morning sun, but the clouds build back in a cooler day. Let's just say mid-20s. With the northwest winds at 5 to 15, becoming more east and southeast late in the day. On toward Thursday, could be another round of that light snow or the bit of a rain-snow mix. Not going to accumulate or amount to much of anything, but the temperatures stay mild. Still above normal, Josh. We don't have that arctic blast in the offing yet. I don't don't think anybody's complaining too loudly. (laughs) I'm not complaining. Are you? No, no, I'm not, but (laughs) I I know some folks (laughs) would like better ice.
0: All right, well, thank you so much, Stu, and I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. You got it. See ya. Yep, so long. All right, that is Ag Meteorologist Stu Muck. We connect with him live via Skype every single weekday morning right around 5.20 a.m. Taking a look at current conditions right now in Madison, where I'm at, it's 25 and clear. It's 23 and clear in Eau Claire, 26 and clear in La Crosse, 28 and clear in Green Bay, 19 and mostly clear skies in Wausau. Oh, let's see, where are we looking at next? And then also we are going to take a look at... Oshkosh is 26 and clear, and Mauston is 25 and clear. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Josh Scramlin.
6: This is the Farm Report with Pam Yonke.
2: Say, have you heard of the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation? Yes, it's a grassroots organization of people just like you that care about keeping agriculture strong. By joining Farm Bureau, you also qualify for a number of money-saving member benefits on equipment, autos, travel, and insurance. Get more details at WFBF.com.
11: A voice for farmers. A for agriculture. Wisconsin Farm Bureau. Rural Natural
4: Insurance.
2: Castles, cows, and culture. That's some of what you'll get on our next agriculture adventure. I'm Pam Yankee telling you to come on along. We're headed to Scotland and Northern Ireland September 15th through the 25th. Some of the stops include Glasgow, Edinburgh, Belfast, and Dublin, plus agriculture highlights like visiting an Irish dairy farm and also an expansive rural life museum. Get details 800 826 2266 or email. Pam at MidwestFarmReport. com.
12: There is no reason to be intimidated by words like gold, diamonds, This is the worst headache ever. Hmm.
1: Right arm's all tingly all of a sudden.
12: Must have slept on the last night.
13: I keep losing my balance.
9: These old bones need some exercise.
1: Granddaddy, what you just said doesn't even make sense. It sounds like gibberish.
9: Signs like these could be more than what they seem. They could be a sign of stroke. Sudden weakness or numbness of the face, arm, or leg. Sudden trouble with vision in one or both eyes. Sudden trouble walking or difficulty with balance. Or a sudden intense headache that comes out of nowhere. If you or someone
2: you know has any of these symptoms, don't wait. Call 911 immediately. You could make a difference in someone's life, someone you love, maybe even your own.
7: Time lost is brain
2: lost. Find out more at PowerToEndStroke.org. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. It's not too
3: often that kids say, when I grow up, I want to be a salesperson. Now, Who are we kidding? Nobody says that. We're polite Midwesterners. We don't like talking about money, much less asking people to part with it. That's why we don't hire salespeople here. We never send our staff out to put a business owner in a headlock and throw their car keys up on the roof until they buy something. In fact, we don't let our people even talk to business owners until they've learned the principles of good advertising. When you work at Midwest Family Marketing, you get intensive training from top marketing mavens across the country. Decades of systems that turn good local businesses into successful household names. You gotta want to help and have the integrity to put our customers' needs above all else. Easy job? No. Challenging, enriching, rewarding, and fun? Every day email jared at jobs at midwestfamilymarketing.com. Midwest Family Marketing is an equal opportunity employer. Who was your hero when you were a kid?
14: Neil Armstrong or Louis Armstrong? Roberto Clemente
11: or Walter Cronkite? Rosa Parks or Sally Ride.
2: You're the right age to do something you can be remembered for. Register
11: to become an organ and tissue donor.
2: Even if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s or beyond, any age is the right age to donate the gift of life.
11: Learn how at organdonor.gov or call 1-866-99-DONATE. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
8: With the wild card round this weekend, as a Packer fan, who are you rooting for? The Vikings. Vikings win, obviously, you avoid the uh, Saints in the second round. You'd get then the winner of the eagles Seahawks. Is that an easier matchup? I think most people would say so. Or do you say screw that i i i, I, I want I want to step on the neck of Viking Nation. I don't want them to get a breath of Super Bowl hope in their lungs. One of the great running sports jokes is the Viking Super Bowl tra- uh, trophy case meme. Why would you even eva want to consider messing with that? Even if it's at some level could benefit the Packers. Of course you want the saints to win because you're not going to root for the Vikings. Well, not so fast. My friends, 59% of you right now saying you're going to cheer for the Vikings on Sunday. <laughs> Obviously that's be- not because you're Viking fans. I don't think, I think it's because you believe deep down, it's going to be easier to win in the playoffs against Seattle or Philadelphia than it is
13: against new Orleans. I mean, I see that, but also I think if it, listen, I think the Saints are going to beat the Vikings. I think I think we all kind of agree on that, right? The
8: biggest, by far and away, the biggest of the four point spreads this weekend is New Orleans, Minnesota.
13: The Saints coming to Lambeau Field makes them the most vulnerable. I mean, the Saints are vulnerable at Lambeau because you got the elements and yada yada yada. You got the home field advantage for the Packers and all that good stuff. So I think if you and you gotta beat, you got to beat good teams eventually, right? Correct. So why not just do it? In 2010 when the Packers went on the road, was everyone like, oh, man, oh, I can't believe we've got to do this? No, you just, you just handle your business and do your thing. I would love to see Rodgers versus Breeze. I think that would be exciting. Well, it's kind
8: of like in uh, six oh eight three two one sixteen years ago, speaking of Nelson's good friend Greg Gard, it's kind of like three years ago. Uh, Wisconsin got massively underseeded in the NCAA tournament. They're, they they finished second in the Big Ten regular season and second in the Big Ten tournament. Yet, remind me, they get a nine seed, yeah, and they draw the number one overall seed, the defending national champs, Villanova in the second round. And then what happened in that game? I believe Wisconsin beat Villanova. I think Wisconsin didn't they? got it done. So yeah. then Wisconsin went from the underdog to the favorite to make the final four. And when Florida beat them the next round, it was a stunning upset. Except for everybody not named Gator (laughs) Frank. I feel like it would be the same thing here, right? If you beat the Saints, suddenly you go from, man, the Packers were pretenders to, did you see what Aaron Rodgers and that Packer defense did to the Saints? Mm -hmm. How are they not going to win now? Like, I feel like even if it's at San Francisco, unless the 49ers just look incredible next week and win like 49 nothing, but I feel like if the Packers would beat the Saints at Lambeau, I feel like momentum massively shifts to the Packers side going into that NFC Championship
13: game. Yeah, just think of everyone says the Packers are the worst 13-3 to team they've ever seen, the worst two seed they've ever seen, they're lucky to be here, yada, yada, yada. If the Packers do beat the Saints like that, how much would that shift? I think the, a lot. Oh, it, it, Everybody's like, Super Bowl favorites coming up here for the Green Bay Packers. Oh, because the
8: national media, they want to glob on to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and the Lombardi Trophy. I, I, I guarantee for sure. the, the four-letter network wants to go all in on Aaron Rodgers and drum up, was there a controversy, and are Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur still getting along, and is Aaron Rodgers still elite, and was Mike McCarthy the problem, and all the soap opera stuff you could play out if the Packers keep winning. So I guarantee... That if the Packers beat the Saints, they become the media darling, at least in the NFC.
13: Do you take any, um, you know, raise an eyebrow at this when Aaron Rodgers said yesterday he said the timing of the offense has been awful lot this year, and he's not sure it'll get fixed. Yeah, this I think year. the timing. I think you said it. I think he's giving him. His Wait, self- hang on, hang on, hang on. I I brought it up for a reason. You want to hit me to hit it? All right. That's why I brought it up. I think
8: it's. I think you're spot on. Go for it. Aaron
13: Rodgers yesterday, like I just said, said the timing of the offense has been off a lot this year, and he's not sure it'll get fixed. Aaron Rodgers, what do we know about him? Loves, Loves bulletin bull- board material. Aaron Rodgers doesn't really have much bulletin board material right now, correct? So he's generating, making up his own bulletin board material. <laughs> material. He'll he'll print this out, put it on the bulletin board, and get pissed off about it, and have a hell of a game against whoever comes to Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers, Conspiracy Theory Friday, making his own bulletin board material by talking crap about himself.
8: I think that's great. And whether it's himself or I think, you know, now he's at the level where, remember a couple years ago we had the debate is Aaron Rodgers a leader. I think he now is trying to take on more of a leadership role than he should have probably in the past. The other side of that conspiracy theory is he's doing this to motivate his other teammates. He's saying to... Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Jimmy Graham, and Jay Kumro. These guys aren't aren't special. Uh, So it could be motivation for the other ten players on offense. What do you think of that conspiracy? Motivation for everybody. Or Uh,
12: could it be a built-in excuse for if they lose? I
13: also uh, thought that, but I didn't want to bring it up. It's possible.
12: He can smell fried cheese curds from 15
0: miles away. This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. We might only be in the early months of 2020, but let's go ahead and talk about the Wisconsin State Fair, as officials at the fair are pleased to announce that applications are now available for the 2020 Century and Sesquicentennial Farm and Home Award. So if your family has owned the same farm for over 100 years, listen up, because Jill Albanese, the director of competitive exhibits, wants to hear from you. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Josh Scramlin, and right now I am joined on the phone by Jill from the state fair jill you're the one that organizes it so you'd probably be the best person to talk to but this event that you put on is really really cool
1: it's a great event and what happens once you turn an application in, we review that application and if everything goes well then we invite you to the wisconsin state fair for a breakfast program and this year it'll be on tuesday august 11th and that's in the morning and then we have speakers And then we also then, that's when you'll get your signed certificates and your family photo.
0: Yeah, so let's break it down. You don't have to be exactly at 100 or 150. If you're at, say, 104 or 117 years, you can still apply for one of these awards. You don't have to be right on the dot, correct?
1: Josh, that's a great question. Yes. So as long as you have made it 100 years, you can apply. Each property can apply for the 100-year award once. And each property can apply for the 150 award once. You don't have to be exactly at 100, but you have to be at least continuous for those 100 years or continuous for those 150 years.
0: Now, what are the qualifications to get one of these awards?
1: Um, You have to have continuous ownership for 100 or at least 150 years for both awards going to stay in the family and that's really the most important thing you do not need to be actively farming but we do ask what kind of farming you are doing just just kind of helps fill out where our honorees are coming from
0: yeah and elaborate on this event because i was there last year it was my first time going to it as you said it takes place during the wisconsin state fair it's quite the event i mean there's a breakfast there's presentations really sell it to people why would they want to attend this (laughs) event
1: Um, First of all, it's great you recognize and honor those farms. It's all about honoring the farmers that have made it 100 and or 150 years. Um, Last year, we had just over 650 for breakfast. So four people come to the breakfast for the sit-down meal. It's amazing. It's very uh, rewarding. And then what we do is after the program, that's when we take your family photos. And then we send those on to the newspapers, and then one is sent to each of the farm families. You then get your outdoor sign, which is very coveted, and then you'll get a paper certificate. And then they do the county roll call where they read every single farmer who's made it those 100 and or 150 years.
0: I'm smiling just thinking about it because it almost felt as exciting as like a high school or a college graduation. Everybody's getting their picture taken. Everybody has their sign. That sign, the the look on farmers' faces when they get that sign – It is just pure joy, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And this is actually for our staff. This is one of the most rewarding programs we work on because it's just so wonderful to honor these farmers who have given so much of their life to uh, Wisconsin farming. And then the one thing I want to remind people, um, you get the Farm Award once. So if you got the award like 10 years ago, you don't get it again until you hit that 150. Okay, so you only get the hundred-year award once, and the hundred-fifty award once.
0: What do numbers look like for one hundred versus one hundred and fifty-year-old farms? Because fifty years—that's a—that's a big difference.
1: Yeah. So actually, last year, right now, we have over nine thousand hundred-year farms in the state of Wisconsin. So the Century Farm Program started in nineteen forty-eight to coincide with the state's. Um, centennial celebration. And then in 1998, we started the Centennial program, which corresponded with the state's sesquicentennial program. So the numbers are kind of amazing. So right now we have over 9,600 farms in the 100-year farm program, and we have just over 900 and actually 919 150-year farms in the state of Wisconsin, which is Phenomenal.
0: That feat blows my mind because when you think about 150 years ago, you're talking about right after the Civil War. There's families in this state that have owned the same farm since right at the end of the Civil War. Are you desensitized to that or does that still blow your mind?
1: No, every year, like last year, we had 29 farms that got the 150 year award, and then we had 145 farms that got the Century Farm award, and that's pretty traditional. We stay in about that range every single year, and it really reflects how people migrated into the state of Wisconsin. And so a lot of times 150-year farms come from the southern part of the state. And then the hundreds year right now, we're getting an awful lot from the northern part of the state. So it really reflects how everyone moved into our
0: state. I'm on the phone right now with Jill Albanese. She is the director of competitive exhibits at the Wisconsin State Fair. Applications for Century and Sesquicentennial Farms are available now and the applications must be postmarked by the deadline that is Sunday March 1st. So one of my favorite things about the event last year was as you said there's people coming from the far, far northern part of the state and they will make a full day pilgrimage out of this. They will get up at 3 or 4 in the morning. They will drive down to Milwaukee. They will get the award and then they will drive back to their farm and be there in time to milk cows. It's, it is it is it is crazy. And uh, I just said the deadline, but can you just say it one more time so everybody has it?
1: So the deadline is March 1st, 2020. So what you want to do is call our office if you need to. You can call 414-777-0580. Once again, that's area code 414-777-0580. We can get you an application for either the hundred. 100- and or the 150, and deadline is March 1st. Just go ahead, make sure you include all the dates you need for transfer of ownership. is really important.
0: Yeah, and then do you have a lot of fun going through these applications? I mean, they're almost like history books that you're getting in the mail, right?
1: Yeah, and some farmers will send in actually extra blurbs about their farm and where it came from, and we love hearing those stories. So, um, And if we don't need the information, we do send it on back to you, but we do love the stories that come along with this and we're so proud to be supporting the farmers of Wisconsin.
0: Why would you tell people to apply for this because paperwork uh, nobody likes paperwork but this is fun paperwork right?
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's, yeah, well, it's paperwork but it's one page application it's rather simple we can actually walk you through the application if you need to um, what you do is you put the, your name the county your location most important information is we ask how the property is transferred from, say, your grandpa down to your dad, then to you. So you need the month, day, and year of each transfer. So there's a lot of different sources for that. Family records, the uh, registered deeds, the county courthouse can help you out. So there's a lot of great places to find this. And then always make sure you save a copy of it so you can pass it down to your next generation.
0: All right, Jill and the good folks of the Wisconsin State Fair are accepting applications for the 2020 Century and Sesquicentennial Farm and Home Award. That is a very prestigious award given to families who have dedicated their life to Wisconsin farming for 100 or 150 years. One more time, just so everybody has it. The deadline for applications
1: is March 1st, 2020. Go ahead, get that application in. Give us a call if you have any questions. We'll help you out. Otherwise, we're looking forward to another great Wisconsin State Fair.
0: Look at that. It's almost as though we planned it. That was very natural, (laughs) wasn't it? (laughs) All right. Awesome. Jill, thank you so much, and I hope you keep getting those applications. I hope our listeners, after they hear this story, send in those applications. I would highly encourage anybody to partake in this event.
1: I hope so, too. And look forward to seeing you at the
0: Wisconsin State Fair. And also, if you want to find the contact information for Jill and figure out how to get your application to Milwaukee, to the state fairgrounds, you can go to our website. That is MidwestFarmReport.com. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Josh Scramlin, and news and markets are up next.
2: Boy, Wisconsin weather has been tough on our farm equipment this year. Maybe now is a good time to push pause and take care of some maintenance. Fabulous Farm Babe Pam Yonke for my friends at McFarland's, 780 Carolina Street, just off Highway 12 in the heart of Sauk City. Remember, where everything is all under one roof, and that includes their fantastic service team. They've got a great deal going on now with McFarland's and AGCO. Through February 29th, you can save 10% on maintenance and 10% on genuine Agco parts. Listen, that farm equipment needs to be reliable. You're using it every day. There is resale value to take into consideration and, of course, operating efficiency. McFarland's can help you walk through every step of evaluating that farm equipment and prioritizing what should come first on maintenance. Save 10% on maintenance and 10% on genuine Agco parts now through the end of February at McFarland's, 780 Carolina Street in the heart of Sauk City.
7: He takes being called a pig as a compliment because he knows that they're smarter than most dogs and people.
0: This is the Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. We'll take a look at your markets in just a moment, but first, USDA's timeline regarding RFID requirements for cattle, which was released and then withdrawn last year, has left an uncertain future for producers who sell and transport cattle across state lines. While there's no policy currently in place, the requirements will continue to be discussed. And Holstein Association USA is encouraging producers to stay ahead of the curve by transitioning to RFID systems in their next calf crop. Miles Ramsey has the story on that. Miles? When it comes to data, performance
11: information, and pedigrees, no other animal can compete with the U.S.-registered Holstein. A powerful database of genetic information has fueled progress for generations. And it all relies on a tag, proper identification at birth.
14: Everything we do with the Holstein Association USA is based on that first step of identifying an animal. Accurate identification is really important to making all of the value-added products and services we offer more meaningful.
11: That's Jody Hoynowski, Executive Director of Holstein Identification and Member Services. She says that even though USDA has withdrawn its timeline for RFID, radio frequency identification requirements, it's still an important consideration for dairy producers.
14: A lot of our members have already embraced RFID technology on farm. For others, I think it's it's, uh, going to be a transition that makes sense for them. If they're marketing or selling cattle, anything moving interstate, RFID tagging at birth makes that process actually much simpler and smoother.
11: It's also part of a larger picture of animal traceability and disease monitoring.
14: Traceability is really important for a lot of reasons. I think number one, primarily for animal health and ensuring if there were ever an animal disease emergency, traceability is so important that we can do that quickly to ensure the safety of our food supply.
11: Holstein Association USA is an active voice for its members in the national conversation on mandatory identification and issues such as USDA's stance on RFID requirements. The organization encourages breeders to be early adopters and stay ahead of the curve when it comes to identification technology.
14: I think anyone involved in registered Holsteins, if they're making the most of their investment, are going to sell an animal at some point or, or market their animals. And by implementing an RFID ear tag at birth, uh, it really takes some headaches in that process of when you go to sell that animal and write up the health certificate, you don't have to add any additional tags. She's ready to go. And you can rest easy knowing that any animal in your barn is ready to sell.
11: For Holstein
0: Association USA, I'm Miles Ramsey. Alright, miles thank you so much for that and now let's take a look at your market numbers on a Monday morning right now cash corn is at 386 and three quarters of a cent that is up a half a penny and new crop corn likewise is up a half a cent at 393 and a half moving along to wheat cash wheat is at 551 and three quarters of a cent that is down two and three quarters and new crop wheat is down three and a quarter at 554 and a half cash beans are currently unchanged at 9 30 and new crop beans are at 9 40 and three quarters of a cent that is down three quarters of a penny moving along to dairy butters at 195 that is unchanged block cheddar is at 189 that is down one and a quarter cheddar barrel is at 164 and a quarter that is unchanged and as for your fluid milk contracts right now february milk is at 1703 that is up one penny and march milk is at 1720 that is down five cents all right let's see we are not done just yet we have got time for one more story before the top of the hour and for that you'll be hearing from reba in just a few moments
7: this is the farm report with pam yonke In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success, like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So, get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide.
0: Look, I know it's early, but here's something that's going to get your attention beer! Did it work? Did it get your attention? All right, Reba has the full story on beer
9: right now. Reba? The craft beer movement is something that has really been moving along in Wisconsin. And when I was in college, it was something that I started to really get into as well. Craft beer has continued to grow throughout the state. And one of the newest breweries that I've heard of is Cheese City Beer Company, which was started by Jeremy Beach down in Monroe. He shared more with me about how he got Cheese City Beer started.
10: So I had the idea for Chief City Beer when I was actually working for the USDA out in Washington, D.C. about five years ago. And I saw the local food movement taking hold and a trend starting to start on the East Coast where people were uh, more interested in where their food was coming from, who was growing it, how it was being produced. And I thought of an idea of applying that concept to beer. And so with the possibility to come uh, back to Wisconsin uh, to my family's farm, which is a fifth generation farm currently in Monroe, uh, I basically started the process five years ago to where I am today, where I've uh, been able to, with the help of my family, produce uh, beer where 100% of the ingredients came directly from our family farm. Growing all the barley that's been malted to produce the malt for the beer, uh, put in a hop yard, a couple acres of hops to produce the hops being used in the beer. I've grown some other small grains and uh, fruits and berries and some other types of specialty crops to be used in beer, and even the water itself came directly from our farm well. So it's basically this all-inclusive process of growing it uh, all ourselves at one location to make it truly an estate ale.
9: That's really cool, even just the fact that you're getting – literally everything even the water from right there on the farm why did you choose beer I mean with the local food options there's a lot of things out there so what made you choose beer
10: yeah well uh, I think like your comment about being uh, really into beer into college as well but uh, it also I started uh, my first job after college was out in Portland Oregon where the microbrewery scene was really starting to take place and i just kind of you know got on board with the trend then uh started homebrewing with friends and started to learn about the process and then since uh some of my schooling and work was in agriculture I started to become a little bit more interested in the actual crops going into beer and how how and where they're produced, and uh, what goes into the supply chain of these breweries that really are dependent upon hops and barley to agricultural crops that we produce and can produce right here in Wisconsin. Uh, So I think it kind of just fell into place with this, you know, idea of trying to apply the local food concept to it.
9: So you grow all of the ingredients on your family farm. Are you processing them there as well, or are you sending that out to someone else?
10: So a little bit of both. Um, Again, it's uh, my parents are still on the family farm, fifth generation uh, my younger brother, Andrew, is taking over uh, some of the farm uh, from my parents, Paul and Carolyn, uh, but we, we've we grown the barley uh, and need it to be malted, and that's something that you need to have done by a company that really knows what they're doing and can do it well. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of small-batch malt houses around Wisconsin, And so I've used a couple different companies in the past where I've trucked some to Michigan uh, and had them malt some of my grains for me. I'm now using a malt company outside of Indianapolis that can do some small batch malting of my barley. Uh, On the hops end, I've got help from family in in picking the hops uh, that we've grown, but a lot of times brewers need to use them in a pelletized form. And so I'm actually a member of the Wisconsin Hop Exchange, which is a cooperative, grower cooperative here in the state. And through my membership, I have access to have them process and pelletize my hops.
9: If people are looking to find Cheese City beer, where should they be looking to either find the information on local stores or is there a chain that they can easily look at and find it?
10: Yeah, uh, so right now uh, it's probably easiest to check my website, which is just cheesecitybeer.com. And I try to keep it uh, up to date there on a page where all of my beer is currently available. Uh, For the most part, it's mainly available in Monroe and Madison right now. So uh, if you check there, there's some retail outlets where it's available in both drafts on tap and in cans if you're curious and would like to try it out.
9: Thank you so much, Jeremy, for sharing the story of Cheese City Beer Company. That was Jeremy Beach, the owner and brewer there. So once again, you can head over to their website to find out where those beers are at.